Happy New Week, listeners. Another episode of Unverified Accounts for you. I'm your host, Chris, along with Liza and Philip, as usual. Hey, what's up, guys? Hello, hello. Hi. All right, this episode, we all watched the new Eddie Huang movie, Boogie. So we're going to talk about it and just a wider discussion on... Okay, I'll just be up front. I really didn't like the movie. I thought it completely fell flat. But more, more than that, I thought it... It reaffirmed for me that there are certain Asian American tropes that I think just have to just either grow up to to like the next stage of of development or just just be just be retired altogether. But um, and what were you guys very quick thoughts on the movie before we go through our intro topics? It wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be, but also not as bad as some other Asian American movies out there. <laughs> there was like a certain scene that's towards the end that I thought was just so bad. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Philip? Um, I, I like the movie, but I, I recognize that it's not like a great movie. Like it, you know, was poorly put together, had a weird start, like had a whole bunch of plot holes and so on. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I will stand any movie that has a hot Asian guy as a lead. So there's that bit. Okay. Um, also, uh, remember, spo- we will put spoiler warnings in the description. I mean, I know we didn't sell it very hard right now, but if you still want to watch it and, and don't want spoilers spoiled we'll give we'll announce it in the pot all right uh but we'll do our usual rundown of the week various things that happened uh, i think one of the big things was this harvard thing in which the the center for mental health there um they they put out this thing about how <laughs> asian american students could deal with uh, you know, you know all, all this violence that's going on the part that really ticked people off was this part where and i'll read this find pride in your community when you experience racism, you can feel shame. You may wish that you weren't Asian, but remember that your ancestors <laughs> likely went through similar or even worse incidents. They survived by recognizing the beauty and strength of their community. So seek out or create literature, art, films, shows, and music that highlights your community in a positive light. Example. I can assure you that my ancestors did not feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Example, the Wuhan I know. And of course, it links to an NPR uh, story in the thing. <laughs> a lot of people got pissed off at this. But I also feel like some people got mad at the wrong reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, what, what are you guys' thoughts? Wait, we're not all mad at the same thing? Well, they, people are mad, but in different angles. And I think certain angles uh, aren't quite as good as others. But anyway, when you guys saw this, uh, everyone was tweeting about it. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, I wasn't surprised that people were pissed off about this. I didn't really care because I don't really give a shit about Harvard. But it really did, did make me wonder, like, you know, this on top of all the other shitty things Harvard's been known to do to Asians, at what point will it actually make a difference and harm their reputation to the point where they, you know, lose admissions, right, or lose lose applicants? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any threat of that at all, right? Because if you subdivide the audience into people who are offended by this and people who are not offended by this, people who are not offended by this are going to keep applying, right? And people who are offended by this, realistically, the majority of them are just kind of pretending to be upset, but they would 100% take an, take an acceptance offer, right, from Harvard still, mm. despite their rage now. So I don't think there's actually any net effect. It's just people kind of like airing their grievances around something kind of like on PC that they said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't like with all the things that Harvard stands for and all the things that it's done, I don't understand why Asians just can't fucking let go of Harvard. I see some people uh, try to stop aspiring for Harvard and those kinds of schools. Right. But that's the thing. They say, oh, yeah, well, Harvard sucks now. Did you know that the all the, you know, latest tech billionaires now? came from Stanford? I mean, like, you don't think Stanford does uh-huh. the same shit. It just you're just hopping from one. What I'm, sa- I'm, not, I'm, yeah. even, I'm not even talking about just Harvard. I'm just like 
all of the the top like you know quote you know I'm doing air quotes here the the top schools just give up on them. Sure, I, I would say as I always do, um, give up, but not without extracting a concession um, for basically, you know, saying okay, we know we know the game's crooked, and if you if you expect us to go along with it, you got to give us something in return. But anyway. What I was saying about people who were getting mad for kind of the wrong reasons was a lot of people got pissed off at this line. Um, you may wish that you weren't Asian when you experience racism. I don't mm-hmm. understand why that's controversial. Of course, that's what causes, you know, like internalized racism, a self-doubt, self-hate. Asian Americans constantly write about that. But then I saw some people tweeting like, oh, I'm so proud. I would never I would never doubt my own identity when I got bullied. Man, that's total bullshit. We all, we've seen all the articles. <laughs> People made fun of your lunch and it destroyed you for like two decades. So please, let's, let's stop <laughs> getting, uh, acting like we're these huge it statues all, right? of yeah. granite who can resist all, all racism. <laughs> um, well, well, here's the thing. I, I think that line was very astute of them because they did recognize that people spoke this way about being Asian, at least in like call it the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But where this gets all fucked up, right, where people are responding, you know, with, with quite a bit of pride saying, I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I, I love who I am, yada, yada, is this thing I keep pointing out, which is we're at a point now, just in the last, call it five years, where Asian stuff is finally cool and Asian people are finally kind of building some self-esteem and some confidence. And we're not sure where to output all that energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a very new phenomenon. Like I think if you, if you had this statement made 10 years ago, the response would be very different, right? That and also all the general like, you know, shitting on institutions stuff that like PLC activists and so on like to do online, it fits right in that bill, right? So I, I you know, I, I, I understand why this is all happening, but I don't think Harvard, I mean, they're wrong to say because it like looks really fucking bad, but they're not wrong in what they're saying. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And uh, that, I thought that was actually one of the better parts. Then they say uh, survive by, uh, no, then they say go seek out uh, literature, art, films. And that, that's such a stereotypical, like cultural lib thing to think that racism can be go solved watch by w- watching the right movies reading or, the right or reading the right books or writing some sad, reflective Asian American literature that yeah yeah, for having the post but but it's this it's the same representation matters crowd that is upset at harvard that also would say oh we need more movies and blah 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 because we (laughs) then we get seen as real people and they will stop beating us in the streets yeah right like same crowd please seek my humanity yeah please please see us as human please love us all that but the greater reason why this is so fucked up is harvard itself i mean i mean i'm not just harvard the whole class of uh, colleges, um, e- even the non-super elite ones, they all probably engage in this, are one of the primary reasons why a lot of Asians grow up thinking they can't be too Asian or or there's something genetically wrong with us in, in that we're boring or unlikable or robotic or inhuman or whatever. And, we got, and the way to succeed is to somehow distinguish ourselves. They're the one primary pushers of that. And for them to be well, you know, when you experience racism, you might feel bad. So here's a few Asian books uh, or go go write a poem. You know, it's so condescending at best and just outright like yeah. malevolent at worst. That's what's really fucked about this. Not not the fact that they rightfully recognize that. Yeah, when you're the victim of racism, you probably a lot of times you wish you weren't whatever was causing that racism. That's a plain fact. And that's actually good for them to recognize that. So and then they then the. I think one of the people from the mental health services issued a statement saying, oh, we did bad. Uh, here's a list of, of better sort resources. Like, no, it's not about the resources. It's about the fact that your school has for a long time been 
uh, a strong proponent of pushing this, you know, Asians are kind of subhuman narrative. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they, that's they, what they, we're they upset did it about. to the they did it to the Jews first, and then now they're doing it to us, right? Like, well, Harvard pretty much led the way, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the ones that made up all of these, like these. They introduced these new admission requirements to to keep people out. Yeah, I uh, I and read then this... everyone else just followed suit. They're following Harvard. Yeah, and I re- I read this new study that I mean just points out the obvious that things like the SAT essays, and by extension, uh, probably like personal essays, are even more cor- correlated with family income than SAT scores. Well, we, you know, that isn't too hard to figure out because when you, the more subjective you get, uh, the money will probably matter more because then you, you can get taught the right way to do this or that, uh, you know, appeal to the, to the admissions officers. And so this study shows nothing new, but it does confirm what we all knew, that it's actually going to get more uh, biased and all that if you actually get rid of standardized testing. Not that standardized testing is perfect. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. Um, oh, the, this is something I found on IG. We don't have to talk too much about this, but, you know, just, just you know, so this is in response to the, you know, anti-Asian hate. Uh, I forgot where I found this on IG, but I thought I'd share it with you guys. It says, Stopping Asian hate means stopping white supremacy, which means stopping anti-blackness, which means ending patriarchy and capitalism. Um, I call this cotton candy activism. Absolutely no substance. It melts instantly. Any kind of uh, force is applied to it. It doesn't fill you up. Uh, so you still it, do anything, huh? And but, in but the it, end, it actually kind of harms you because it's just pure sugar. But it tastes kind of good at the time. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, it tastes good. It's fun to eat. So um, soothing. <laughs> yeah. And it's also one of the, like this this image here is like one of those like you know Instagram, not infographics, but when they do like a single image with some like typography and so on to like yeah. put out a you know it's it's the same kind of like Instagram style activism. Was that it you see. was it made on like Canva or something? Like what's that graphic in the background? Is it a record? It's like a record. A vinyl record. Oh, right. I didn't even write. I thought it was just a bunch of squiggly lines. Uh, <laughs> but oh, uh, you you guys are right. It, yeah, it's in the style of like IG activism, right? Yeah. So it's kind fitting. of twisted. You know, recently it was Passover and. This is all kind of like Passover activism. You're just putting signs up. They're saying, uh, please don't kill us. We're not racist, uh, whether it's BLM or, uh, you know, stop Asian hate or whatever. It's like everyone just signaling that they're they're good. And then, you know, the God of uh, social justice or, or online judginess will pass over them and leave them be. That's, that's really what a lot of this comes down to in, in what it does. And it's like, but I thought this was particularly funny because it was particularly meaningless. <laughs> um. On a somewhat lighter note on the same topic, Manny Pacquiao, all the way from the Philippines, issuing a <laughs> challenge to American racists, uh, don't fight the seniors, uh, fight him instead. Yeah, it's it pretty is funny. pretty funny because it's like, <laughs> I don't think that he was joking when he said it. So. Yeah. <laughs> he might be yeah, bored, yeah. Um, right? <laughs> yeah, I, he's, he's completely serious, but he's like, he's not even in the US right now. I know he travels between the two countries quite a bit. Yeah. So like, this is a completely like senseless <laughs> challenge he's just like hey come over and fight me or or maybe he'll come to the states and like become a vigilante and uh <laughs> beat the shit out of people in, in chinatown hurting seniors that, that'd be a cool movie to watch i, I, I would enjoy that yeah maybe that a can reality be reality tv show <laughs> yeah no that can be like look our, our prison system is overcrowded our courts are clogged up it could just be hey if you're caught being racist to a asian person uh, you, you just gotta stand toe to toe with Manny Pacquiao for like two yeah, minutes. Yeah, the, the Pacman then, himself will come in like bulldozer. <laughs> and then after that, all is forgiven. Um, wh- whatever the outcome is, you just gotta fight Manny Pacquiao for two <laughs> minutes. 
I mean, in all fairness, I, I get what he's, he's saying, like, you know, why are you beating up on people who can't defend themselves, right? But, like, yeah. the way just the, the way it was presented, the way it came out. <laughs> fight me instead, it was just really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, apparently, Space Jam 2 has the droogs from A Clockwork Orange in it, which, uh, yeah, were... The, those guys are pretty much gang rapists and... The most famous gang rapists in film history probably right uh yeah i guess so maybe yeah. dirty harry though wait dirty i never seen that movie that has a gang rape in it damn that's what she's like mad about the main girl oh the main okay woman. Oh, i see i see i okay. just know that famous you know that very one famous scene in it but i never watched the movie must remedy that soon <laughs> yeah um that was that was a 70s movie right Oh, yeah. I recently watched Dog Day Afternoon, finally. Uh, oh, I it, like that movie. It's been on my list forever, and I watched it. And yeah, it's, it's very good. It's very 70s. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, they probably wouldn't make a movie like this these days. But yeah, it, it's weird because you took up... Pe- like, movies from the 70s are actually like more progressive than movies today. Oh, yeah, because I think they just had less studio control, right? It's just like... it's just Because you watch Dog Day Afternoon. I know we're going a bit off topic, but it, it's, it's like the plot... You just get thrown into this like bank robbery. There's no real setup, uh, and then for like two and a half hours, it's about these guys just bumbling around their robbery. Uh, and is like, but what about the reason why he wanted to rob the bank? Right, right, right. To to fund the the a spoiler alert sex change operation for his. Uh, <laughs> well, I I don't know if you call it him his boyfriend or girlfriend. I guess it would depend on which stage of transition they're in. But yeah, that's just like thrown out the thrown there in the middle of the movie. Because um, <laughs> before you think he's married to his wife because they actually show you his wife. Then you realize it's kind of a sham marriage and everything. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, back on topic. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why do you get rid of Pepe Le Pew and, <laughs> but keep the, the droogs in? Which I, I the only reason I can think of is that maybe these people haven't really watched A Clockwork Orange and mm-hmm. think... Those guys are just these fun-loving. They're like anti-establishment, like yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're just a bunch of vandals, <laughs> and they're they going around, uh, you know, yeah. just tagging walls with spray. I don't that know. was my guess, honestly. <laughs> yeah. was that I don't think that these people actually saw Clockwork Orange because there's See, the, no way. The scene that this is pulled from in the Space Jam Two trailer was this, like you know, epic showdown between the goon squad and the toon squad and they just inserted all these um different characters from like every single movie and tv that's famous you can think of like next to next to the droogs is like the night walker night king from fucking game of thrones right oh really? so yeah it, it's really weird it, it's it's akin to what they did in ready player one where they just had like every single pop culture reference oh, right, into a screen because yeah. it's like cool you can like look and be like oh i recognize that guy mm-hmm. and and so it, it kind of I, it really did raise a question like why did did no one do their research on these guys before putting them in like why why is this okay like it's it's a very dark movie and it, it or did they let it pass because somehow stanley kubrick's you know you know fame and and uh magnificence as a director allows him to get away with that kind of gang rape but Pepe Le Pew is just like too you know it's too dangerous to show that at a young age to kids or whatever I don't know what the reasoning is but like it was a very strange contradiction to to see them in there yeah but I feel like Stanley Kubrick's always on the verge of being canceled because you hear stories about how abusive he was to Shelley Duvall in The Shining and he was just known as just a very demanding a kind of kind of a jerk of a director. So why hasn't he been canceled yet? Like, I don't know. Uh, maybe he's just too big, um, and nobody. Yeah, I don't know. Because I was gonna say maybe these are people with very limited cultural memories. But it's not like Pepe Le Pew was ever relevant since I don't know the sixties. I don't know if we really even grew up with Pepe Le Pew as one of our Saturday morning cartoon just like reruns and figures. Stuff. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, I, but maybe 
Pepe Le Pew just got written up a lot in publications like Jezebel or whatever, and, and they know of him secondhand, as opposed to like watching the old like 50s cartoons in which he would have been prominent. I have no idea. This this, this is quite bizarre, especially in a children's movie. Most kids won't even understand that reference. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's for the, it, it's the kind of thing they do in like uh, children's movies and TV where they have like references that, or jokes that are written like kind of for the adults, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very strange. Anyway. But okay, so since we're on movies, let's move on to our main topic of this episode, which is Boogie. Which came out, I think, a few couple of weeks ago. And just to summarize it, it's about this uh, main character named Boogie. He's an Asian-American high schooler growing up in Flushing, Queens. Comes from this rough background. And his dream, his only real shot to go to like a good college is uh, with a basketball scholarship. He's one of the best players in the city. He has a rival named Monk, who's played by Pop Smoke, who recently passed away even though he's very young Mm -hmm. and the movie is about him uh just you know learning to be more of like a team player not such a ball hog and just trying to be like a better man as well because he has a love story with eleanor who's the who's the black girl in the movie and his classmate and uh you know i I gave my thoughts uh at the beginning i I just thought it was the main main problem with the movie that there's no tension um okay uh spoiler alert uh, I thought gonna... that all the tension was like within the family, right? Right. Which, by cause... the way, like the mom like never aged, but the dad did. Oh yeah, the dad <laughs> kind of looks like the mom's dad. <laughs> yeah, the mom is like yeah. still young and hot, and then like the dad aged significantly. Yeah, they... yeah. But oh. he went to he went to prison, right? So oh yeah, yeah. The dad what went to prison, to prison for murder for, for murder, sort... right? Oh, murder. I yeah. thought it was some sort of like some I don't know, like maybe some like illegal gambling racket. No, I, I think no. no they said they said it was two assaults. Okay, maybe oh. it was assault, but it was it yeah. was a violent crime. Um, yeah. Oh, just just a this will be a nice segue. Next week, uh, our, we're planning to do an episode on Warrior. He plays one of the main character, one of the main side characters in Warrior. I knew I've seen him from. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that, he, he's that guy. He's good. He's good in that. Anyway, um, all right. So let, let's just quickly uh, go scene by scene through this movie. Um, so it starts off with Boogie being driven to high school by his dad and Uncle Jackie, who's played by Eddie Huang, who has like a small role in this. So, um, so the thing is, his dad has this big plan to make Boogie go to the NBA, and the way he's he plans to do it is to enroll him in this new school called City Prep because it has a better basketball program, which will let him play head to head with this guy named Monk, who is regarded as the best player in the city, and he thinks the only way he can get on the college scouts' radar uh, is to beat Monk in a game because you know Boogie's well respected by these college recruiters, but nobody's given him a full scholarship, which is what the family needs because they're poor. And, you know, the dad was just in jail for for quite a bit. So Boogie comes to this new school. But it's really weird because as soon as he comes to, in the first class, he already, he already has, like, his best friend there. He's already making <laughs> eyes at Eleanor. So I, I got confused. Like, is Boogie the one who went to prison is now coming back? So, you know, it's all his friends are welcoming yeah, him back. Yeah, there were a couple things that were unclear. In yeah, the and, and it, throughout this movie, there's a lot of just these untied subplots. Like, for instance, like the dad's, is he a gangster? That's like, that's totally not explored. Um, and then we'll, we'll get to other loose Why does ends. the mom hate the dad so much? Well, I I can kind of understand that because I'm sure they had a hard life as immigrants. And is it just because like he just went like he just couldn't get it together and like he yeah, went, went to jail went to and prison just left them? Yeah. yeah, actually, and the he movie can't, he can't provide for them. Yeah, actually, the movie starts with a young version of his mom and dad in front of some kind of like Chinese like fortune, fortune teller, teller, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's 
she's gotten pregnant by accident. I don't think they were married at the time. I don't even know if they were uh-huh. planning to get married. So they're asking about uh, the child's future, the child who will grow up to be Boogie. And then, um, so yeah, I mean, you can tell that maybe they didn't get married out of totally out of their own free will. They had a hard scrabble life. So I can understand why there'd be resentments. But so anyway, um, the next scene is, I think, Boogie and his best friend at the gym uh, uh, ogling Eleanor and her, her, I don't know what her friend's thing is, but it's like her best friend. Wait, wait, is, um, you mean the, wait, which one is, I thought her name, I thought the, the main girl, the black girl, mm-hmm. I thought her name was Juicy. That's her nickname. No, that's her nickname, that monk's nickname for her. Oh, I her see. real name, oh yeah, her real name is Eleanor. Her real name would be Juicy. <laughs> well, hey, uh, actually, no, that's not, I mean, people can have that name, but it was a nickname. Um, so then uh, immediately Boogie hits on her uh, at the gym. Yeah, a very- that's what I'm saying, like Boogie, Juicy, Monk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, very crudely, I might add, which kind of turns her off initially, but not enough to completely, uh, I guess, put him in the bad books forever <laughs> and then um what, what happens after that they i guess you you start seeing boogie kind of play basketball and stuff and i think that the actor who plays boogie a t- guy named taylor takahashi or listen to the interview with eddie huang on the david chang podcast i think taylor takahashi was actually a very good high school player maybe even college player but in this movie you can't really tell he's that good i think he just he, he doesn't do anything that spectacular. He he, you know, gets makes a bunch of baskets and stuff. I, did you did you buy that he was this really good basketball player? Because because I didn't. Neither uh, with not, Monk. I, I I didn't. I don't know. Not really. Because I'll be honest. When I went into this movie, I thought we were getting like the Asian version of like he got game. Mm-hmm. No, that was a really good movie. And and you know, uh, and Jesus Shuttleworth played by Ray, Ray Allen. Allen, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. So you know, but going, you can see the skill. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I guess it's a little unfair because you know this is Ray Allen, so you know he's awesome. Yeah. But I've seen uh, I've seen movies like uh, Coach Carter and you know other basketball game uh, movies. So um, I actually, uh, the rest of the movie, uh, the middle part is all a jumble. But the big uh, dilemma for Boogie is that he can't get this college scholarship because nobody really believes in him, and then Uncle Melvin comes into the picture. Now this is another one of these dropped storylines because Uncle How Melvin is he cli- Uncle Melvin. He's like it's young. a non it's a non-relational uncle, right? It's he's oh, just like, he's yeah, just I, like a, a friend not a friend, but like an acquaintance who's like you know, he comes in because he's a be he's a professional scout. Well, he yeah. clearly wants to and she at least initially doesn't want to, but it's a, it's like well, what's their history? Did they was this the guy she really wanted to Mary, like long time ago. Although he looks so much younger than Boogie's dad, that I can't. I don't think they're of even of the same generation. Uh, so there's a lot of questions. And then he, it's he's clearly trying to go for the mom. But then uh, after they have like a big fight, because Uncle Melvin's thing is that um, because Boogie's having such a hard time getting a scholarship, the mom hires him as as his manager, and he gets the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association, to take some interest in Boogie. And then uh, he eventually convinces Boogie to sign to play in the CBA as opposed to going to the NCAA, which I think shows maybe that Eddie Huang, who wrote this movie, is a little 
It's a little bit out there because nowadays that would actually make a lot of sense. A lot of I was thinking that I was like, why does he see it as like a step backwards? Right, like, right. Because CBA yeah. is basically you get paid. Yeah. That's the big thing. A lot of why do you players, want to be in the NCAA over the CBA? Yeah, a lot of players now would rather go to Europe or even Australia to at least make money during during their one year in which you have to take off between high school and being becoming professional. Right. As little as I understand about the sports world, I do know that like they kind of want to make money during their prime years, which is when they're very young. Yeah, because even if you go to the NCAA, you could get career-ending injury. It might not even bring you that much. Because the one reason you would go to NCAA is for exposure. But mm-hmm. hey, maybe your team kind of sucks and you don't make it far in March Madness, whatever. <laughs> but you don't get paid, right? Like you just oh, don't definitely get don't get paid. That's okay. that's like the big controversy. Yeah. It's essentially just total right. wage. They bring theft. in like yeah. billions of dollars. Where, where's the, the where's the offer? This is the important thing I think is the offer that Melvin gets from the CSA is that it's seven hundred fifty thousand, oh, almost a million US dollars. Bucks. Yeah, as like a Which seventeen, is, eighteen year old. That's right. amazing. Right, and, and this is important, right? Because part of one of the part part of the plot is that his family is like kind of almost like borderline yeah they're broke they're like eating instant noodles yeah Yeah. and so i think the the interesting tension there with the family is that like he's not only trying to just you know find a way to get into college for free or cheap he's also trying to like you know he's like the big bet that his dad and his mom are counting on this is why they're both such like you know tiger parents around his whole basketball thing uh which is which is an unusual thing for asian parents to be tiger parents about right um, but but it's because they're betting on him doing something that will save their family in terms of like their financial state, right? And that so seven hundred fifty thousand would have really like, yeah because he doesn't lose anything, right? He doesn't. What no, is he, he says guaranteed. Exactly? Uncle Mel- Melvin says he's guaranteed. The, the guaranteed thing he would no lose catches. is the opportunity to play in the NCAA and maybe become a national figure if if he does well in the in the March Madness tournament. But they even mentioned that he could come back like a year later and do the get, get into the NBA. Yeah, yeah, no, it does does nothing to hurt his NBA chances. Uh, chances. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, then there was so, so. What was the whole point? Like, why was the dad? Why were why were like. Boogie and the dad so like against the mom. Well, I think that shows Eddie Huang's uh, outdated thinking because when Eddie Huang was growing up, because I I think this is a lot of it is autobiographical. At when you were growing up as like a, a basketball fanatic long time ago, the NCAA that was everything. You wanted to be Christian Leitner, you know, hitting the game winning shot in in the March Madness tournament, and going overseas was just a total. You might as well just go play in, in like in like JV team. You know, it, it was considered such a step below. But nowadays, as I said, um, like the Ball brothers, they all went abroad, and and they're doing extremely well in the NBA. And you know, making the NBA is extremely hard if you're not like a, a top like ten pick. You might not even be in the league in in a couple of years, if even that. You might not even make the team. So it's nice to have a career established abroad especially if you're doing it uh, a lot of it to help your family so and it pays you yeah a fuck, fuck ton of money yeah, but, I, but I, I think that that's not necessarily eddie wong's like uh, outdated understanding of how the system works it may be that he's writing it as uh the as like the father like the father character's outdated understanding right because his dad is the one who's like insistent on him going like the pure route through the ncaa even though it's very unlikely for an asian american to do that yeah. Right. And so, and it's that stubbornness from the father that is in conflict with the mother and Melvin because the mother and Melvin are saying, yo, we should just get the fucking bag, get the money. He'll still have a chance. Like, why are you being so resistant to this? And that's when everything blows up. 
Yeah, right, that, then, that's, that was my read on it. Yeah, but then Boogie kind of sides with the dad. So he's he the one. Kind of. He definitely well, did. Well, he <laughs> does. Yeah, because he, I mean, like, he definitely has this affection for his father and, like, you know, all the prison stuff and all that, right? And his anger comes from his father, or yeah. at least that's what they imply. And so it's, it's interesting that he does do that in the face of logic, right? In the face of what his mom and Melvin are saying. Yeah, and and if, and if Boogie's the young person who would be most in the know about basketball economics and all that, I mean, he should be the first one to be like, Yo, Dad, the CBA is a much better idea for me. But than the point the is that he's yeah. stubborn. The point is that yeah. he ha- he's in- he's he's inherited some of those negative traits from his father, which he's trying to overcome. This is the only good part of the movie, by the way. Like, this is the only part I liked about the movie <laughs> was like this tension around him making that choice and trying to not split his family, and also like the the fact that like the other twist is that he eventually gets a full ride after he signs with the CSA. Yeah, and he gets very right? angry about that, yeah. and then um. Okay, let's fast forward to the ending. I mean, uh, we'll touch upon the the love story with Eleanor after, but you know, since we're talking basketball, so he he's like this ball hog, hot shot. He, uh, he butts heads with the coach a lot of times because he he wants to do his like fancy moves and everything. <laughs> uh, but then he signs for the CBA. Then St. John's University actually then gives him a full scholarship, which he he now regrets signing with the CBA. But hey, he signed it, so he can't even play for the high school team anymore. So it, the big showdown with him and Monk. Uh, officially gets canceled because he's no longer eligible and a big fight breaks out so then they decide the two schools decide to settle things on on the the playground or, or the blacktop uh in the outdoor court uh so you know they come in and then they're playing and again there's, there's like absolutely no tension here because you don't even know who this monk is i mean they've hyped him up as this big bad guy but he just seems like a punk you know he's he's a stereotypical cocky high school basketball player I, I don't see anything that's that menacing right. about I also him. wasn't sure if it was like he was an individual or like the school was called monk or oh, something yeah, yeah, I was like what the hell who's this monk guy who they keep kind of yeah. like touting as like the big final boss at oh, the yeah. end of the movie you know it was kind of heavy handed oh yeah and also to kind of gin things up it's revealed that monk used to be Eleanor's ex-boyfriend which really riles up Boogie for some reason even though it's not like she cheated on him with this guy but I just didn't think that was just such a big reveal yeah and I, I think they just had to make some connection a personal connection besides the fact that monk is number one and boogie has to take him down so then um they, the big game happens a uh, monk is awesome at the beginning boogie sucks but then after halftime boogie starts playing better <laughs> again and it comes down to the last possession and again this is like handled so flatly um i guess it's the thing is boogie hands off the ball to somebody else instead of trying to do everything and then he makes like a backdoor cut and the guy finds him and boogie slam dunks it but it's like there's not even any slow motion not even like cheesy slow motion it just hap- it just happens and then you're like oh i guess i guess it's a game winning shot right <laughs> is that what just happened and then boogie's team wins but boogie actually recognizes monk as the better player and monk after the game is like i'll see you again bro you know i guess i guess they kind of have a they have like mutual respect for each other yeah and just like what what is this like there's not even a you don't even get your cheesy uh sports moment like in the natural or robert redford uh literally hits the lights out with a home run you don't even get something as corny as that ah, it was just what the, the, the most jarring thing for me about that final like matchup was that his parents were they seemed to have reconciled their differences like out of nowhere you know because leading <laughs> yeah. up to that point they were like there's this like you know he fucking like hit melvin the guy's about to press charges and like you know all, this terrible decision had to be made and all this stuff and then suddenly they're like happy like supportive parents at the at the final game mm-hmm. you know out of nowhere <laughs> it didn't make any sense at all yeah uh so then uh 
And then the, the final scene is, is Boogie and Eleanor. They're like eating dinner or something. And, and Boogie does have to uh, go play for the CBA because he did sign a legit contract. And, you know, he's expressing his regrets. I, I think a lot of... Kind of into that, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess a contract's a contract. He can't back out. And I, I think also one of the reasons he didn't want to go was he wanted to be with Eleanor. Um, but, hey, it's just a year. And, okay, let's talk about Eleanor and his relationship because... I just don't think there was much substance to it. Like instantly they're into each other. You don't really know why. And then they have some like cringe dialogue about, you know, her beef being black. Broccoli. And, okay. Liza, why it's don't you tell us about this beef, the beef with broccoli scene? <laughs> what is that all about? Tell the audience. The beef with broccoli scene is when they talk, this is like, this is how Eddie Huang decided to handle the big race talk in the movie where he <laughs> talks about how like, you know, Everyone, every culture has beef and every culture has broccoli, but only the Chinese were the ones to blend the beef and the broccoli together to make this delicious meal. And that everybody loves beef with broccoli, but they don't love Chinese people. I also thought he was saying that beef with broccoli is a very kind of low, simple dish. Yeah. Um, that it's it's this thing that is not elevated enough. It's like junk food, basically. Um, but that's what people think Chinese food is. I think this is the chef, Eddie Huang, coming out. Uh, he's like saying, oh, there's so much more Asian culture, but all you think of us is this basic-ass beef and broccoli. And that, then, that's definitely something he said on an interview that he recycled for this movie, right? Right. Like, and it just and like, then you know. Eleanor gives him the talk about how like her ancestors were enslaved and she took her so long to figure out that she was even from Trinidad. Yeah, and it's just... Come on. It could have been, it was a missed opportunity, right? It could have been done a lot better with that pairing. Yeah. You know? Um. And then, okay, let, let's rewind a bit. There, There's the. Did scene. Eddie Huang write that scene? I feel like I'm he sure he does. No, he, he gets writing thing. credits, and there's nobody else who gets writing credits, I think. So it's it's him. Um, Ugh. Someone should have doctored that. Yeah, we needed a script doctor. <laughs> but let's rewind a bit, bit back into the, the scene where they, they have sex for the first time. And as I said, this, um, this episode, I wanted to you know discuss certain tropes that. You know, Asian Americans just have to find the next level with, and I think that that the race talk between two interracial partners, I think, is one that really has to be more interestingly explored. Other than just the big, it, it's like the Ginny and Georgia. It, I was going to bring it, that up. It's on that level. <laughs> is it and, that? Is it that bad? I think it wasn't as bad. I don't. Well, think Well, Ginny and Georgia, I think, is more cringe. But at least those. Well, no, actually, no, they're about the same age. Uh, right. I mean, I think the not the writers though. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eddie Huang's probably older than the writers there but i mean the characters in the in the show sure uh because so i was some... watching the movie i was watching boogie with the kids so i fast forwarded the whole sex scene yeah and then chris you told me what i missed all so. right right so let me set up the scene for you this is this uh, is boogie is in eleanor's bedroom and they're about to have sex for the first time but uh, it's his first time uh she's she says she's been with someone before it turns out to be monk and then he's really nervous because uh he thinks his dick is too small <laughs> and it's just um, I don't know. I'm Phillip, so maybe... glad that my kids didn't have to see that scene. <laughs> Philip, I don't know if this is a too personal question. Like, but I, I've never had this issue. I don't think Asian guys literally, most of them literally fear that their our dicks are too small. I think what we are annoyed at is we think other people think that. We don't have any way to prove otherwise. But it's a fairly objective thing. At a, you know, you will, it's a thing you see every day. And you know that, hey, if X is the average size and I'm at that or above, you know for a fact that you're not small. And... I think if you're already at the point where a girl wants to sleep with you, 
you, you're already there. The, the, the big obstacle has already been cleared. So I don't know why he's so insecure about it. But I think I think what Eddie Wong's trying to convey in that scene is that like he he is like it is it is that fact that he doesn't know what the other person thinks that is causing his insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's what bothered me about that scene was not the actual content of that scene, but it was very overtly like a I have to check this checkbox for representation you know, for Asian male representation. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to have a scene about small dicks and he did it kind of <laughs> poorly. Um, and that was the part that bothered me, right? The fact that it, it had to like hit the tropes, right? You yeah. know, sometimes, sometimes we, we talk about like TV series and I'm like, this TV series is like, you know, about race or whatever is annoying because it feels like every episode is like a lesson. Mm-hmm. Like you had to like go over some topic that like we see, see on Twitter all the time or whatever, but it has to be boiled down for some like, you know, TV mainstream audience. It felt like that kind of scene. <laughs> Right, that was like almost unnecessary, and it also didn't really jive well with like uh, Boogie's character of being a very like brash, like super confident, you know, guy. And, and maybe that was on purpose. Like maybe the point is that like even confident guys can, uh, you know, have this insecurity because of how poorly we've been treated in the media, right? Uh, through all these stereotypes but it just like it just fell flat that whole scene, right? It just didn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah, Boogie, like Boogie, how do you go from? Uh, in the gym, publicly hitting on a girl, saying oh, "You got a nice vagina," to then being in her bedroom, being like, "Oh, I think my dick is too small." And she assures <laughs> you that assures you that she like I'm sure she it's fine. But he's like, "No, you're not thinking my feelings." It it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I agree with you. It, I think a better written made movie would have shown yeah all that fronting was compensation for his deep insecurity, but it kind of sure. comes out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and I think that's that's the main issue and. As I said, at that point, if she already wants to sleep with you, like you're golden. Like yeah, she she even it. she even like looks at it and then she makes a joke about it, like a very obvious joke, meaning that she's all it's all good, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And he still goes on being very insecure about yeah. it, which it's not that I don't want this uh, aspect of just Asian male issues totally ignored. I think if he totally ignored it, that would have been a problem as well. Yeah, he's but he's like, trying to address it, but in it's trying to address it, yeah, it was clumsy, right? It came off as a very over. I have to check this checkbox. You know, to do to do uh, Asian Reddit good or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> you know, that was that was how it came off to me. So, yeah. Um. So maybe we can end the spoilers here because uh, are there any other scenes you guys wanted to to hit up? I think those were. I, th- I think we pretty much uh, laid out all the important yeah. points of the movie. Okay, so yeah. spoilers ended. Okay, one thing I another thing I want to talk about is uh, this whole pairing between um boogie and eleanor you know i mean nothing wrong with that but i I have noticed throughout the years that there's this disproportionate putting together of asian men and black women in tv shows and movies i'll just list off it's like if you're any asian male actor of any note you've probably been paired up with a black woman in on screen at some point in your life is this like post Issa ray no no this this predates Issa ray like all the time uh like okay, let's go. Let's go all the way back to Rain. Remember when Rain made Ninja Assassin? His love interest there was a was a black woman. I think mm-hmm. I didn't watch it, but the main actress in it was black. Um, Steven Yoon in Sorry to Bother You paired mm-hmm. up with Tessa Thompson. Um, oh, remember the 1997 Cinderella with um, I think his name is Paolo Montalban and oh the Filipino guy. Yeah, and Brandy 1997. Yeah. Uh, you know, back, way way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Famously, Romeo Must Die, Jet Li and Aaliyah, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Wu in Into the Badlands. His mm-hmm. his love interest in that show was black. Uh, John Cho in Flash Forward, Gabriel Union. 
Uh, okay, there's more than I there's more than I realized. Yeah, okay. and then uh, Brian T. He's this uh, like Korean Japanese American actor. He's in a show called Chicago Fire. Uh, his love interest there is black. Uh, Sun is also a star, even though they cast a pretty non-Asian looking guy named Charles Melton. And in the book, he's supposed to be full Korean. Uh, uh, Philip, you pointed out Space Force uh, yeah. between the- Jimmy O. Yang and uh, I forgot the actress's name, but I was actually watching clips of it uh, on YouTube last night just to do a bit of research. They even have the same kind of dialogue between Boogie and Eleanor in which uh, the black uh, female character talks about not knowing where her roots are because mm-hmm. she's like ADOS and you know they, they wipe that out from her like family's Oh, memory. you mean Space Force? Yeah, in Space Force. Oh, okay. I saw a clip of that. I, I don't remember that in Space Force, but what I did remember in Space Force really stood out to me was that Jimmy O. Wang's uh, or Yang's character actually explicitly says that he has like, probably was like a porn collection of like AMBW. Oh, yeah, that's the clip I was trying to look for, but it's like a yeah. TV. Oh, anyway, can you explain? Yeah, what how, well, what yeah, did he, he say? At some point, like in, in the first half of the series, he, he just to set up his, it's really poorly written like very heavy-handed he sets up his character as being interested in black women by saying that he has like a pornography collection of asian male black female you know porn and he he also explicitly says like this you know thing that you see online about how they're the two groups that are i think historically you know uh looked down upon like emasculated or whatever right Mm -hmm. um and I, I just that really stood out to me because it felt it felt like he wrote it maybe I don't know if he actually like has interests like if he's if he prefers black women as an actor uh, or sorry as 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 like himself Jimmy o-, o-, o Yang but he actually like explicitly calls all this stuff out in Space Force it has no connection to the rest of the plot it's just all is set up for the relationship later on so I thought that was kind of interesting yeah I mean I, I as 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 nice as it to see all this I do get the sense that it's it's just this. Hollywood just trying to put like the leftovers together, and I don't know in how many of these things the uh, the pairing actually works in terms of it being believable. And I, I think it it has a tendency, I think, to become too political, and then that's how you end up with the beef and broccoli dialogue <laughs> because it's supposed to be a statement pairing as opposed to more of an organic. So hold on, when when you say believable, do you mean believable in terms of like seeing it in real life commonly, or do you mean like in terms of the chemistry? For the particular characters and the the story arc that brings them together, um, talking more about the, the fact that it's so much more represented on screen than in real life, proportionally. Sure. Not not that there aren't any couples like this in real life, but mm-hmm. the fact that you keep seeing it again and again on the screen, it, it as I said, it makes it seem like the the makers are thinking, well, you know, somebody's got to want these people. Why not just put them together? Uh, because nobody else wants them, which is very insulting to both groups. Because uh, you know, I, I think black women are very attractive, but I also don't want these pairings to be made because out of pity or some kind of political statement with no real heart behind it. And mm-hmm. as I said, I think that's how you end up with cringy scenes. I mean, even Ginny and Georgia was between a, a half Asian guy and and a half black girl, right? right. And I, I think when, when the when the pairing is done. Uh, out of this desire to to make like, like consider uh, you know liberal diverse society as a kind of equation, and Asian men and black women are like like the remainders, and that that 
make this equation imperfect. And society wants to make this equation perfect. It's like, okay, what do we do with the leftovers? We'll just put them together. Then we get rid of the remainders. Uh, perfect uh, equation. That's not what, just, that's what it not feels just like. that, though. I think <laughs> that they also get woke points for doing it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? Because they're like saying, oh, look, we, we're good about making sure that the remainders are actually like sexually desirable and paired up. Well, we happen to pair them together as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a thing that I think other other uh, shows and movies don't try to broach at all. Because so, I think that matters, right? Like I, I think that it's kind of fine to put this pairing together so long as it's believable on screen at least, right? Rather than just trying to mash them together and not actually put any thought into like how they would have conversations and interact with, with each other, which leads to exactly the beef and broccoli situation that you described, Chris, right? <laughs> well, Eliza. Uh, Eliza's the one. Sorry, Eliza, who, who pointed it out. Because yeah. so. I think, uh, say, sorry to bother you, I think I think the thing with Stephen Yoon and Tessa Thompson made oh, yeah, sense. That was, I, 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 I bought that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I bought that. Yeah, because um, he's passionate, right? And she wants to see passion. She wasn't seeing it in uh, the main the characters. Stanfield the Stanfield character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, kind of, that one kind of made sense. And they're both great actors and actresses, too. So. Yeah, so I, I thought they had chemistry. It made sense in the context of the story. And it wasn't so well, much. We also have like Stephen Yeun in like context. Like everyone likes him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they act- already. So yeah, it's like, and- of course, Tessa Thompson in the movie goes for him because it's yeah. like everybody would go for him. Yeah, and also everyone has like a crush on Tessa Thompson. So you know true, that worked true. out. But also, I think it worked because it wasn't. It wasn't like the sad, neglected black girl seeks out the sad, neglected <laughs> Asian guy. It was more like, yeah, as you said, Philip. She she had this fire about you know bettering their you know her and her boyfriend situation and Stephen Yoon happened to be this organizer who was really showing the initiative that her boyfriend wasn't so it made sense it, it was the race thing was there but it was more of subtext which okay I, what, what about in the sun is also a star because you read the book and you watched the movie because that one's no i didn't watch by... the movie hell no i'm not watching that trash oh, okay. i watched the movie <laughs> Okay, because it's it, not a good movie. Okay, all right, all Charles right. Melton, whatever his name is, he's good looking, but he can't act. Well, also he looks way too old to be a uh, eighteen year old or yeah. seventeen. Does he? Well, I think so. I saw the trailer. Like this guy looks like a thirty year old man. That's, anyway. that's all. That's all casting. I'm, I'm asking about that one in particular because the the writer of the book is a black woman who is married to a Asian man, right? So yeah. I would imagine that maybe she would have a better, uh, like you know. A, better perception of how these relationships should be formed discussed i didn't read the book chris i don't Um, know how was the book i thought i thought it was actually she definitely handled the asian male character on his own quite well and represent Mm -hmm. like family dynamics quite well as opposed uh as with their relationship i mean it's it's this like why insta love syndrome in which Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) these two people meet and in in, within a day they're like in love with each other so i think that was more of a ya thing but hey if she if she were to write a more literary fiction type of novel, I think she could pull it off. I think she does yeah. have the insight. But, you know, this was a very YA story, so I didn't really buy their romance, but it wasn't really because of the race thing. It was more of the YA insta-love thing. Got it. Yeah. Um, and, and then you guys pointed out, that we actually see more Asian men with black women on screen than Asian men with Asian women, which is in real life by far more numerous. And I think- Yeah, like I never actually noticed, um, I think, I think Philip already said this, but I, I, I'd actually never noticed that Asian men and black women are often paired together. I just always noticed that Asians are never paired with each other. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's, I mean, when they're older, definitely, because, you know, immigrants weren't exactly swirling. So if it's the <laughs> Asian dad or the Asian mom, they got to be together. 
But then it's presented as like, well, that's because they had no option. If you had the option, why would you choose to be with another Asian? That seems to be the implicit message. And in this beautiful melting pot of liberal why diverse society. Why would anyone society, pick their own guess, race? My God. Yeah. Why would anyone pick their own race? <laughs> everyone would just, it'd be like, a, you know, one of those like square dances, I guess. Everyone just like mixes. <laughs> uh, that's the ideal they have. Which, you know, is, is, I guess it's nice as an ideal, but, you know, we, we do live in a racist society and, and we, it won't just be perfectly random mm-hmm. like, we, like we hope to be. Uh, so, yeah, besides maybe something <laughs> like Always Be My Maybe or Crazy Rich Asians, it's pretty rare to see like second generation or young Asian Americans being with each other. And I think it just reflects Asian America's own aversion to it um at least the elite cultural yeah. class i know you're you know, talking about this big picture that, so. but if we zoomed in on boogie the movie in particular it's supposed to be a bit of an autobiography for eddie wang and also like it's you know it's about a, a asian guy who's going to a school in queens i don't i don't know if queens in particular has like a larger black community or whatever right it used okay. to it's predominantly yeah. asian I was wondering if it had south it asian just, it, it just made sense because like if he is growing up in that setting he'd be exposed to a lot of people from that community and therefore they would you know interact and share culture etc right yeah and if you know anybody who's watched or, or read fresh off the boat like anyone might have been born in new york city yeah. i'm not sure but he grew up in florida and everything so if they were truly autobiographical i mean i've read fresh off the boat and double cup love his two uh books and you know he if i recall correctly he never has like a serious relationship with a black woman he writes about this woman he meets in like taiwan that he's he sees for a while. Then Double Cup Love is all about him um, and his wife, fiance, traveling around China and him discovering his, uh, you know, him traveling around China really for the first time and trying to see how he can reconcile his Asian-ness with his white fiance, all that. So it's like, I don't know if he has, he, he might've dated some black women or something, but I, again, if he didn't, but then felt compelled to put this pairing up on screen, I think it's another point that, like the the whole like Hollywood establishment really does want to make this a thing because I think they're like thinking, well, who else? Yeah, they got they got to be with somebody, <laughs> and it's it might as well kill two birds with one stone. Be diverse, be diverse, be progressive, and uh, put the remainders t- together. Um, <laughs> which, as I said, I think is quite condescending. Let us let us find each other, <laughs> you know, organically on our own, not because you you feel pity for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so to close off this episode, I I just wanted to address. This wider question, this movie did have this very like Eddie Huang is thirty nine, maybe almost forty, maybe uh now thirty nine or forty in that kind of older millennial. I thought that yeah. was like fifty. But he is in that <laughs> he is in that age group, which is like you know older millennial, uh young Gen X. Uh, I do think this movie does reflect that because you have these speeches. Oh, okay whatever spoiler whatever but there's that whole scene with the michael chang thing where he and his dad are watching the, uh-huh. the michael chang uh french open match against ivan lendl and boogie's like why do we have to watch this stinking match like every night and his dad says if you were chinese american in 1989 this match would mean everything to you i mean it's just very heavy-handed and, and there's that scene where um the dad makes boogie apologize to the coach Neil, by making uh, him kneel, which I hated is something part. yeah but that's actually something that eddie huang's real dad made him do but i also think that's very weird even for strict asian american parents i think i think his dad was just psycho in making him do that uh and then uh melvin remember the, in that family fight over the cba agreement melvin says you know we got to stop being chinese and superstitious and we got to be more practical Ugh. 
I get that there's always going to be these cultural clashes that are. Well, the mom called him a Twinkie. <laughs> second gen. Remember <laughs> oh, really? I when that part. he got the dad arrested and then he was like extorting them to. Oh, right, right, right. He's like, yeah, these, these like bananas. Oh, that's right, Twinkies, banana. That's what she they're, used. They're going to sell so us. I got my yeah. slurs all mixed <laughs> yeah. up because they all mean the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the way that this is handled so blatantly without any. Because. As I said, it's not the sentiment that I have a problem with. These are real sentiments. These are real experiences and they should be expressed. But the way that they're presented as just just see me. Um, this is what happened in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to be seen kind of way without any kind of artistic interpretation or any kind of just, okay, this this is what happened in real life, but l- let's make it, let's add something to it. You know, so it's not just, just as is. And I think the Asian American tendency to make everything as is, as opposed to ever using, you know, allegory or any, anything like that, is this desire to be seen. Like my experiences. Uh, yeah, they want to like, literally reenact like the stinky lunch scene or whatever, right? In their minds. Yeah, yeah, and and, and they want to sh- they want everyone to see it. They want everyone to cry over it, or they want everyone to get angry over it. And through that, we become God, I'd validated. Rather, I'd rather be angry um, than cry. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I think a lot of Asian American art is so just mundane. I, I, mundane in the sense that it's always like some like slice of life thing or dealing with very uh, unelaborate issues. What Chris is saying is I that get. it sucks. <laughs> and I and, and the thing is, I actually really like those types of stories. A lot of my favorite movies are like that. A lot of my favorite novels are like that. Like Dog Day Afternoon. But uh, we got to... <laughs> <laughs> but but see like like Dark Day Afternoon that that's a movie that has a lot to say about you know social issues and all that but it wasn't just about a guy fighting with his parents about his trans uh boyfriend it it framed it in the context of this mm-hmm. funny and sad bank robbery and I want to see Asian Americans do more stuff like that because I think we have way too much of this as is mm-hmm. literal this is what mm-hmm. happened in my life very autobiographical um you must see me and my life yeah for that, me to feel mm-hmm. good check, kind of thing checking off to, the checklist like this is exactly the, the problem with like the small dick scene right it's like you're trying to literally address that issue rather than going about it in some some other way that doesn't like isn't so on the nose right yeah and i think that's how we end up with the very on the nose uh kind of stuff and uh, in the latest Escape from Planet podcast I did with Teen, we talked about the fact that real life Asian Americans are actually more interesting than our fictional versions. In the <laughs> fiction versions, we're all just desperate to be loved and uh, be seen, and uh, our our biggest issues are just these very kind of small domestic mm-hmm. concerns. But in real life, remember that Doctor Doctor Dao guy. Uh, yeah, got, got a chippy out of him on the United flight. Yeah, and then we delved into his life, and it was just absolutely insane. He was like some person. I think he he was this gambling champion of some sorts. Oh, really? And he had. I think he led this almost like gangster life, like literally gangster life in Vietnam. Maybe that's why he had to immigrate. And they're way more interesting than than some Asian American whose whose biggest concern is: Will I get into Harvard, or will I have to go to Tufts? Uh, will this white boy or girl like me and return my crush all that kind of shit you know um e- even the story with boogie like the basketball thing what does it symbolize um i actually don't understand why his dad is so obsessed with the nba again eddie huang's real dad was obsessed with basketball i don't think mm-hmm. he ever had the illusion that eddie huang could make the nba but i mean what does this mean like does this come from a deep uh 
well of resentment of dashed dreams from the dad. We don't really get to explore that. It's just, hey, this boogie wants. Maybe to- maybe he's trying to recreate the Michael Chang moment, but for contemporary times or something, right? Because he's so he's apparently he watches it every night. He's so inf- infatuated by it. Maybe he's trying to do that, but they don't really get into it, right? That, I'm just I'm just kind of speculating. Yeah. they don't actually make that link. Though it, it could be a yeah. What's the motive here? Link. Why is it so important? Yeah. Yeah. Like, to just- the rest of us watching the movie, it's like. We are asking that question. Why is it so important that you go to the NCAA instead of going to the CBA? Yeah. And as I said, the the reasons they give are so surface level. It's because the Michael Chang thing was the proudest moment for Asian Americans, period. It is like, well, why exactly? It's never really explored. And, you know, if you're going to make kind of like a character driven piece like this, you got to really get to know the characters. Either that or go go big and, and do something crazy and use characters as uh, more allegorical figures, uh, you know, symbols of, of various things. But right now, I'm just tired of these types of things. And I, I do, you know, I, I, I just think of like Eddie Wong at, at not even like five years ago uh, was at the cutting edge of you know, we never seen an Asian American like this. He's brash. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about respectability. And even when I was listening to him on the David Chang podcast, he was talking about Asian masculinity issues and, and particularly that bedroom scene. He just sounded so out of date, um, just fighting battles that I think aren't that relevant in that form, in that all too literal, all too hearts on our sleeve kind of way. So it, it, it is, you know, the culture is moving so fast and you, you got to keep up with it. And I do think this is a movie that was really made for like maybe five years ago. You think it was mm-hmm. like it was written... For a different time and just now got made because of i don't know just all of a sudden there's interest and he just never bothered to doctor the script to update it yeah 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 and and maybe at this point eddie wong is such a big figure that no one's really gonna tell him yeah this scene sucks uh actually this whole script sucks you should start from scratch <laughs> no one's really gonna tell him that I he probably has enough power to, to make it happen <laughs> <laughs> um but you know i as i said like Eddie Huang, you know, I did appreciate what he did, even for like Fresh Off the Boat TV show, which, you know, he also did actually disowned. But I did really appreciate that when it came out. But it it is almost I probably almost unwatchable now. And, you know, the, the whole like Asian August stuff that <laughs> happened in 2018 will probably mm-hmm. become unwatchable soon if mm-hmm. it hasn't already. Although I think searching will stand uh, quite for quite some time because it I wasn't like really about asian representation mm-hmm. you didn't like that movie though i enjoyed it it was just it was just too small i felt like no one really it's, it's super occult right at this point well it, it was it was made on a shoestring budget it was, it's just basically yeah. john cho looking at a computer screen for the whole movie but it, yeah. it made a huge profit because it actually um a lot of people want to see it uh relative to its budget mm-hmm. I, I think that movie is going to be one that will be much less cringe as it goes on because it's less it doesn't have the clumsy race stuff uh, unless social yeah, it's, media it's starts more, to work differently Race was actually yeah. irrelevant in that movie, I realized, right? It was more like you got to see, you know, like like an Asian dad who really loved his kids and wasn't some yeah, that, abusive yeah, that child. Yeah, that, that was, that was, the, that was, that was great. the big thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that on the nose with the race thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if, uh, I don't know if it's like a lack of skill from Asian American directors and writers to like make things that are more allegorical, artistic, whatever. Or if it's that there's de- just demand from viewers or from you know the producers that gatekeep all this stuff, who think that viewers want to see Asian American stories that are on the nose and address things like head on is. and whatever. I think there's I, like a desperation not, to be liked, as always. 
And yeah, as I said, it's like, if you're going to do the whole, for example, the beef and broccoli type of dialogue, there are legit issues there that need to be explored. But if you're going to do that, I think you really have to dig deeper, be less afraid. Because it's it's all just so shallow. It's like reading a BuzzFeed article. Like, my <laughs> I'm an Asian guy, my girlfriend is black, and this is the dialogue we had while watching... Um, or like during the the Black Lives Matter protest of 2020, it's that kind of level where it's all very shallow, very self conscious. No, no, we hold on. We we didn't get to the actual point of that scene, which was the the punchline at the end, which is that he was saying, "If only the world would get over the fact that Chinese people make good beef and broccoli, we could be so much more." Mm-hmm. Right. That that was the point I thought that he was trying to make, which I thought is actually a decent point. It's just like when you boil it down to a allegory about food, it sounds really flat, right? Yeah, plus so. it, it's a little confusing because um, I, I guess unless you're really in the know about food, it's like, what's wrong with beef and broccoli? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think you might have to know a bit more about the Asian food scene to be uh, the whole concept of you sure, know, elevating foods and all that. So yeah. that was also a little difficult to understand. All right. Uh, any any last thoughts before closing off this episode? Yeah, I think I think I actually thinking back, like I kind of agree with Eliza what she said at the beginning, which is I had higher expectations, right? Could have been a lot better. I, I also felt like the movie was an hour and a half and not two hours, so like it felt like it? if you had thirty, you you could have yeah, it was, but also you could have added thirty more minutes of like things that could have tied yeah, a lot of, of those the movies plot where lines like, together. Maybe a little bit longer would have you know? uh, would have helped your script a little bit, your story. Yeah, or, or maybe they like or maybe they. Up. Yeah, or maybe they, some maybe they cut out key things. That's, that's how it felt, holes. right? It felt like there was like a bunch of big holes. Yeah, my guess is they had a longer cut, but then they realized it's way too boring because we don't really care yeah. about, say, Uncle Melvin. Um, we yes, just, we yeah. do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I we think do. you thought he was hot, so. <laughs> he is pretty hot. I think he's the guy who played Bruce Lee in that's Once right, Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's Mike yeah. Moe? Mike Moe, yeah. Yeah, that's Mike that's Moe. Right. Oh, and he, okay. like, he got into a bit of controversy among Asian Americans because, you know, they thought he portrayed Bruce Lee as a, as a wimp. And he's, he said something like, oh, yeah, I have a sense of humor about this. And he's like, okay. well, look, you can just say, hey, you know, it's not every day I, you get to be in a movie with Brad Pitt Quentin and Tarantino, yeah. DiCaprio yeah. and Quentin Tarantino. So I took it because, uh, you know, it's really hard to be an actor. But then you try to say something about, oh, you got to have a sense so of humor. I didn't, like, I didn't even make, realize that it was the same guy because in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he really did look like Bruce Lee, like the right. jawline and everything, mm-hmm. the hair. The wig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I kind of went into this movie not having much expectations. I, but even that, I, th- I think... It's like, you know, by the time the beef and broccoli scene came up, I was completely <laughs> checked out. I was pretty checked out before, but that came out like, what the fuck is this about? And on the David Chang part- I think it would help to watch movies like this with like a much younger audience. Possibly. With less expectations. Because I yeah. think that like, like for me, I was so disappointed, but like, you know, my kids were kind of riveted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but you know the David Chang podcast they, he praised the movie I I can't trust him on movies anymore or well, maybe but it's his friend true but he's beefed with Eddie Huang before Eddie Huang accused him of cultural appropriation yeah, over he's not his chili be, oil he doesn't feel like beefing with him again beef <laughs> beef 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 with broccoli <laughs> that's the name of the episode uh, all right so beef you know with broccoli. <laughs> like David Chang uh, you know I like Ugly Delicious and all that but I can't really trust your movie Rex anymore uh, I think we'll close what off other with movies that. did he recommend. Oh no, yeah. no! I'm just saying. Um, I haven't listened to maybe any he did other like movie it. Rex. Maybe the beef with broccoli scene really stood out for him because he's a food guy too. 
Well, that's even worse if he was sincere about his praise. I'd rather it be he being nice to his friend than he actually genuinely liked it. Now that it's, that would make like him a, question um, his taste even more. It's like a friendship with a lot of tension, so he doesn't want to. <laughs> he doesn't want to mess that up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess, I guess if you're really curious, uh, I guess go see the movie. But I, uh, next, next. Uh, no, episode- I think everyone should see it. Why not? Yeah, why not? I get whatever. But next weekend we will <laughs> we'll talk about Warrior, which actually is really really good. So uh, if you want to support and something, very excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if fun. Yep. All right. Okay. So until next week, have a good week. Unverified account signing off. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>